Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It is the twenty-second of September. This is Thursday. I spent most of yesterday, or at least some portion of yesterday, thinking it was Tuesday. And so, just to clarify, today's Thursday. Mostly saying that for me. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 5. So that means it's in the portion, portion of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount, delivered by Jesus, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So these are verses 44 and 45 of chapter five of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is speaking here. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he uh, gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on both the just and the unjust alike. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, that's not our instinct. Um, these are some of the most countercultural or counterintuitive uh, demands that Jesus ever issues. And we might add to them like turning the other cheek or walking the second mile or giving your oppressor your coat when he comes to take your shirt. So what in the world kind of kingdom is Jesus constituting here? And how are we responsible to pursue what Jesus commands in making his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's what's part of what's going on here, right? Jesus Jesus came to reveal the Father. He came to institute the kingdom um, in the midst of this world, recognizing that now we live in the already and the not yet, like already instituted the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, but not yet fully realized. I mean, we are not yet at the point in time when Scripture promises um that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today's not yet that day. And so we live, as described here in this passage, in the midst of people who are both good and evil, people who are both just and unjust. And we are to shower them in the same way that God does, equally with sunlight and rain, equally with blessings and mercy, with peace and forgiveness and love, or in this case, with prayer. So if you and I are going to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we also have to be pursuing that reality. That's part in part what's going on here. So the kingdom of God is fully populated by um, people who were once God's enemies. Just think about that for just a moment. The kingdom of God is fully populated by people who were once God's enemies, And yet, by his great love extended while we were yet sinners, we can live lives reconciled to God now and forevermore. We were once his enemies, but now we are his children. That happens by his grace and his mercy. It happens because he loved his enemies. 
loving our enemies is not about doing unto others the way we would have them do unto us. I mean, it's actually not the golden rule. Loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us is a living demonstration of the gospel itself. In loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, we are being like Christ. We are revealing the reality of the Father's character and his ways. Yeah, God sends the sunshine and the rain, his mercy and his love, his grace, upon the just and the unjust alike. He shows no partiality. We're not so good at that. Whether we're good or bad soil, whether we produce good or bad fruit, those are questions for consideration as we examine ourselves as believers. But today, the call is to consider how we are like God when we love our enemies and pray like Jesus for those who persecute us. I mean, Jesus demonstrated it from the cross. From the cross, Jesus loves his enemies. And in that moment, in that act, you and I are included in that number. And from the cross, he prays for those persecuting him. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, possessed by the spirit of Christ, then you and I are to be as Christ, representing Christ in the world today. That means we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. That they too might become friends of Jesus now and forevermore. Let's be growing in our faith day by day. Ben Johnson's going to join us next. He's the rights writer. We're going to survey a number of headlines of the day at the intersection of our political reality and our Christian faith. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson joins us now. He is the rights writer. He serves as a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. You can find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Hey, Ben, good morning. Good morning to you, Carmen. So there's a lot going on at the intersection of um, religion and politics as the midterms draw near. I was noting that New York Governor Kathy Hochul, or Co- oh, yeah, Hochul um, was mixing politics and religion at a church in Amherst. And, and then we've got a story um, out of Pennsylvania um, with some similarities as well um, related to Josh Shapiro. Can you Can you just give us a sense of you know, sort of like why politicians enter pulpits this time of year and why churches allow it? Well, politicians are there uh, for the same reason that uh, bank robbers go to banks, because that's where the money is. Uh, in the case of, uh, of going to churches, that's because that's where there are potential votes. Uh, obviously, when people are going to church, uh, these are people who are civic-minded. Uh, over the years, we've found that, uh, of course, the vast majority have become registered voters, they tend to vote at higher rates than uh, those who do not go to church. And so you have a crowd here who potentially will support you come November or in the primaries or whatever the uh, closest election may happen to be. So it makes sense on their side that they want to campaign. 
why churches do it, I, I suppose, is uh, an open question. Uh, when, when it comes to uh, someone who is a, a pastor or a, a rabbi or someone who's in a clerical position, uh, many of them view it as their position to give people a moral formation in terms of how to participate in the civic culture. I think that that's important. Opening your pulpit to uh, someone who is stumping openly or campaigning openly, uh, of course, that's that's something more of a fraught area, both uh, in terms of uh, the, the Christian background as well as uh, when it comes to, uh, obviously, the, uh, the Johnson Amendment uh, and uh, various federal laws right now. So uh, why a church would do it is, is a separate issue. But um, uh, it's quite clear why people want to run. I, I noted that uh, Kathy Hochul spoke at uh, Amherst, the one you were speaking of, at a church called Zion Dominion Global Ministries. And it, it just rang some bells for me. Back in the Bush administration, Christians were often referred to as dominionists in the media. So uh, simply going to a church that had the word dominion in the name might have set off alarm bells uh, in, in a certain segment of the media a few years ago. But uh, it appears not to, uh, simply because Kathy Hochul clearly does not have uh, that kind of uh, a, um, an approach to, uh, to politics, uh, whereas the people they were referring to as dominionists uh, had a, a different political agenda. But, um, uh, of course, Kathy Hochul a few years ago was speaking in a church, and asked people to become her apostles uh, on behalf of her political policies. And that kind of uh, politicization of the pulpit uh, really does concern me in a, in a great degree. That's not what the pulpit is for. Uh, the pulpit is there for proclaiming a very specific message. That's the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe that all of the messages that uh, were proclaimed publicly, either by Hochul or in the case of uh, candidates in Pennsylvania, focused on themselves and their earthly ambitions. Yeah, pivoting from, um, you know, Kathy Hochul, who, you know, this is sort of not our first brush with her in terms of saying things from the context of a Christian pulpit that, you know, ought not be said in such a place. Um, but in Pennsylvania, um, you know, I think that what what caught my attention in relationship to this is Josh Shapiro, who is the candidate featured in this particular Politico piece, um, focused on the fact that he took the pulpit in a Christian church um, and talked not about things that might ordinarily be proclaimed there, but talked about, um, you know, the nature of his faith versus the nature of the faith of his opponent. Um, and he describes himself as a conservative Jew, um, and he says he's very comfortable in the pulpit of this church. I feel very comfortable here because this is a place of spirituality and a place of purpose. Um, I feel like the distinctiveness of the Christian message is lost both when uh, we allow secularists to take the pulpit and when we allow people of other faiths to take the Christian pulpit um, and use it for what are clearly political purposes. And I just feel like, you know, the conversation um, at the intersection of the freedom of religion and or freedom from religion, right, um, that conversation gets really muddied when things like this happen. And and that is uh, probably the most important issue here. Uh, simply put, the, the Church exists to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, clearly, we, we uh, want to have... Uh, when it comes to civic affairs, 
a relationship with those who are outside of, of uh, the body of Christ because we're all part of uh, the United States. But when it comes to Sunday morning and preaching, proclaiming a message, that message has to, main, has to remain the, the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And uh, those, those who speak from the pulpit have to convey that kind of message. Uh, and, and just as a minor side note, because not everyone may be familiar, when he refers to himself, uh, Josh Shapiro, as a conservative Jew, that's with a capital C, because there are three branches of Judaism, Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform. So he's talking about sort of his denominational background, uh, as opposed to his political views. Mm. See, even that is like really helpful, right? There's so many... Um so many nuances to these conversations today. Ben, we're so glad you're here to help us uh, sort through them. We're talking with Ben Johnson. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to ask the question, why is Montana allowing people to change the gender on their birth records? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. All the leaves are All right, uh, we've got a complicated mess in Montana. Ben Johnson's going to help us unpack it here. As I understand it, Ben, um, when the doctor delivering the baby says, it's a boy or it's a girl, that is not an assignment of a gender, but a recognition of a reality. And so what is noted on a human being's birth certificate is aligned with reality. But a judge in Montana says the state cannot prevent people from changing the gender on their birth records. Now, I mean, this is a path that um, has been cut by allowing people to change the gender on their driver's licenses, on their passports, on and on and on. Um, But I actually see this as a significantly different issue. When you start changing what is recorded as someone's biological birth gender at birth i mean like i I mean this is such a departure from reality i hardly know how to how to articulate the depth of my concern and that's a concern that's well placed and shared uh, of course by uh, this guest what uh, the state of montana to its credit actually did try to fight this order in court uh unfortunately they they did not prevail and eventually have have backed down decided that they are not going to prevail in court I think there would be a worth fighting on, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm ready to die on a hill like this. As you mentioned, in many states, if you identify as a certain uh, sex after a certain point, the law allows you to go back and change what's listed on your birth certificate. So if you were born a male, but uh, later on you decide you identify as a female, you can change the legal record of your birth so that it says you were born a female. And 
as you as you just mentioned. But that's not true. Reality. I mean, that's not true. That, it it's not true. False. Yes, you're falsifying historical documents essentially. Which, as someone who studied history, uh, this this just offends beyond that level. But uh, it's also it points out the kind of slippery slope that we get into. Uh, you and I are, are probably old enough to remember the birth of the transgender movement, or at least uh, when it was first uh, being uh, groused in, in uh, public terms. It was first being discussed in public terms. It mentioned uh, the same phrase over and over again, that so-and-so was a man born in a female body. The argument, that's so 1980s now. Uh, that's so five minutes ago. Now the argument is there's no such thing as a male body. There's no such thing as a female body. Men have babies, and uh, because of that, uh, whatever it is you feel defines your reality. There is essentially no reality. You have a rotating reality inside your own mind, and you can change everything. Because of that, you can go back and change your historical record, change your driver's license, and so on. Not only does this impact reality, but it also uh, impacts even such things as public safety. Uh, if pub- if uh, someone commits a crime, heaven forbid, and police say we're looking for uh, a, a woman when in fact the person is a man and looks like a man, uh, it's impossible for you to find that person, essentially, uh, because people are looking for one thing and the reality is something different. This is why we need a standard of reality uh, beyond people's feelings, because otherwise it's impossible to live in a society together. And that's essentially where we're heading, as we've talked many times, is this fragmentation of society where everyone is uh, in, in trying to assert their will upon other people, and it becomes this uh, continual churning of reality uh, where each is imposing his will on others, and it does not end well. Uh, it's just so disorienting. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to imagine. Um, I'm, I'm just trying. I'm trying to imagine a teacher in a classroom. I'm trying to imagine interacting. Um, I mean, I just I go down the list of disorienting environments, um, and and the disorientation, the further disruption and disorientation and breakdown of human relationships. I mean, I. I don't know who I'm relating to um, unless I ask a series of very probing questions that acknowledge a a reality down a rabbit hole that I don't want to be in. Yeah, well, and, and disorientation is the key here, uh, particularly when it comes to children. Adults' job is to make children's lives as stable as possible. Uh, children have enough things in life to determine through the 18 or 21 years of, of their early adulthood until they reach a, a more stable and mature life. They have enough to figure out who they are internally uh, in terms of their personality, what they want to do, uh, who they want to marry. They have every other issue in the world to deal with instead of having to deal with uh, whether they feel like redefining biological reality in any given moment. And so they're continually dealing both with internal chaos and then the chaos of those around them that they have to respond every five minutes to uh, someone changing what they thought was a permanent and irrevocable, immutable uh, aspect of someone's person. Mm. All right. You are working on a really interesting story that I'd like for you to brief us in on related to allegations made by a number of U.S. senators that pro-life pregnancy centers are collecting women's health data um, in an effort to, in the future, prosecute them if they have illegal abortions. 
Um, there's no basis of these allegations, in fact, but that did not prevent a number of senators from um, saying so in a letter. T- tell us what's going on here. Yeah, this was a letter that was sent out uh, Monday, um, primarily led by Senator Elizabeth Warren, but also signed by Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker, among uh, others, total of uh, eight uh, senators who signed this to the head of one of the largest crisis pregnancy center groups in the country, Heartbeat International. Uh, They are accusing them when when they go in, of course, you you sign forms and they give uh, certain personal information. According to them, they do this not so that uh, the crisis pregnancy centers can contact these women and help them, but because they want to spy on them and then eventually uh, look up in their medical church whether they've been to an abortion facility. And if they have, eventually they can they can help uh, uh, DAs prosecute them for illegal abortions. Okay, so, Uh, Ben, so, Ben, can I just can I offer you something here? I mean, I know you're not you're not a you're not a woman. So when you give blood, you're probably not asked these questions. But I can tell you that when you go to give blood to the, you know, the Red Cross people, if you're a woman, you are asked how many pregnancies have you? Well, you're asked if you're pregnant now. You're asked about your recent sexual encounters. You are asked how many pregnancies you've had and you're asked how many children you've delivered. If that's not an invasive collection of data in a system that is run by anybody who shows up and is willing to put on a T-shirt that says Red Cross, I, I don't know what is. Like, I, You're right. Exact same data. And yet there's no outrage over one, but there is uh, unfounded outrage over the other. And as you mentioned, not only have there been no allegations of this ever occurring, uh, that this that has ever been misused, uh, although it's been collected for years. But uh, the people who, who collect this kind of data say there is no individual data at all. It's all aggregated. Uh, there's literally no way that anyone could do the things that uh, Elizabeth Warren and others are accusing them of doing. It is technologically impossible. Uh, and this is simply a way of discouraging people from finding the compassion, care, and health that they would find from a crisis pregnancy center. Yeah, there's a lot of dis and misinformation out there in related related to crisis pregnancy centers, who they are and what they're doing. And so thank you so much for the work you're doing to uh, bring the light of truth to bear um, on what's going on there. We really appreciate it. We look forward to reading it. Uh, you're going to be able to read what Ben's writing on this topic at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, as always, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Carmen. Thank you and God bless. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. I watch the birds fly south across the autumn sky. And one by one. Hey, where are your kids? Where are your grandkids? Where are your nieces and nephews? Where are the kids who um, populate the pews of your church? Where are they? This is not a question about geography, this is about social location. They're on TikTok. Um, TikTok has established itself as one of the top online platforms for U.S. teenagers. Um, What are they doing there? Well, they are revealing a whole lot about themselves. If they're on Snapchat, their location is being um, shared and many times without their knowledge. They are certainly on Instagram where they are um, adding all kinds of enhancements to their physical image and they are being 
um, distorted in terms of their view of what other people look like and what they're doing. We have got to get uh, out on the front foot as parents and grandparents, teachers, educators, um, youth ministry people, Christians of every variety. We got to get out on our front foot in relationship to this. So joining us uh, to help us do that is Hannah George. The project and the product is called Filter First. You're going to be able to find it at filterfirst.org. Let's, uh, let's find a way to help equip our kids, um, our teens, our young people to filter first before they enter the world of social media. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The world of social media, it's an entirely different world than the world that we walk around in most every day, but it intrudes upon everything in our everyday lives. And for teenagers, it's like a swamp whose tide is continuously rising. So what are the tools that teenagers need to navigate the world of social media responsibly? And how are they going to get those tools into their hands? How are they going to be equipped to use them? That is the mission of Filter First. Joining us now, Filter First founder, Hannah George. Hannah, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing so great. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. We're, we're thrilled to have you. So I would, um, I'd love for you to just share um, sort of the, the energy, the, um, the vision behind Filter First. You and your sister developed this. So um, sort of what led you to do this? Well, we both have children of our own. So I guess the journey started about six years ago when my oldest was entering middle school and we started navigating all those questions about when do we get a smartphone? When do we get social media? Um, how, when, when are they ready? How old do they need to be? Um, and we wanted to make a different decision for our kids and hold out on those devices. But what we found is that we were kind of alone in that decision. And so the basically the brainchild behind filter was trying to create a culture shift and a movement um, that we can get more people on board with making these different decisions for their kids. And, And what it came down to is the fact that these devices are going to be a part of their lives. So what can we do to help them be a little bit more prepared, um, have healthier, more positive experiences. Um, We're seeing kids struggle more than ever with mental health issues. We're seeing bullying on the rise. We are seeing um, online exploitation through the roof, but 98% um, in just two years from 2019 to, to, to where we're at now. And there's just so much danger and harm coming through these devices. So we wanted to create something that could educate and empower and equip these kids to have healthier relationships with their devices. So that's kind of so, where it all began. Yeah, I love that. So um, let me just tell people FILTER, F-I-L-T-E-R, all caps, is an acronym. So we're going to unpack that in just a minute. It is a smartphone and social media preparedness curriculum, and it's designed to empower young people to create good habits and achieve healthier relationships with technology. Um, It is available at filterfirst.org, filterfirst.org. Hannah, let's talk about the acronym FILTER. 
F-I-L-T-E-R. Let's talk about these six letters, um, what they stand for, and walk around a little bit in what um, Filter First is offering. Gotcha. Okay, so let's just jump in. The F stands for following. So in this section, um, the kids learn everything from online privacy settings to why it is important to not communicate with strangers. We talk about... um, content exposure and the desensitization to the things we see online and how it can impact our daily lives. And we also unpack everything from the things that we're seeing and why we're following them and how they can impact our behavior. Um, With each section, so with each letter in each section, there's a video teaching that the students watch. It's usually done in the classroom. It's best in a small group setting just because the students need that community and accountability for the program to really have that punch and that impact that these kids need to be able to change their habits and behavior. So that first session covers those topics. And then the I stands for intentions. And that's where we talk about the why behind our activity. So why are we posting? Why are we sharing? We address the affirmation addiction and the dopamine loops that these kids get in because they're actually addicted to this, their smartphones and devices just based on the little dopamine bursts that they get at regular intervals just by opening these apps. Um, We also talk about bullying and the way we treat people, being authentic and how the person you are on social media should be the person that walks into school on Monday morning. Those two people should be exactly the same. Um, The L goes through life story and we talk about data permanency and how when something's online, it's online forever. And these kids, which is kind of sad, it, it feels like they have so much more pressure on them to not post and not share things that could negative in, in, negatively impact their futures. I mean, I mean, we talked about how good, goodness gracious, I'm so glad that some of the stupid decisions I made when I was a teenager aren't permanently documented mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk about how it impacts our futures, how future employers are going to check our social media. They're going to look at our accounts to see the kind of people that we are and how also we can use these platforms to lead and create change in really positive ways. Um, okay, let's well, let me pause just really quick and, yeah. and let me remind people because, you know, you know this because you take kids to school in the morning as well. People are getting in and out of their cars and they want to know what we're talking about because they're like, who is that? And what is she talking about? I like her and I want to know who I want to know how to find her. All right. Her name is Hannah George. Um, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We are talking about Filter. Filter is a smartphone and social media preparedness curriculum designed to empower your young people to create good habits and achieve healthier relationships with technology. If you have wondered who your partner is in the world to help you as a parent or grandparent, teacher, youth leader, on and on and on, um, you know, who's going to help me help my students and my young people navigate their way responsibly in this world of social media. That is the mission of Filter First. And so uh, we, we want to share it with you today. Filterfirst.org. All right, Hannah, pick up in the acronym with the letter T. We've talked about following, intentions, life story. Now let's talk about time, emotions, and reality. Awesome. Yes. So time, I think, is the biggest um is the biggest thing we have to address with our teenagers. The average teen is spending seven to nine hours a day consuming entertainment media. So that's not even um, that's not even homework. That's just 
media consumption for entertainment. Um, we like to say that's almost four months of a year. That is a long time to be staring at our screens. And honestly, adults need to address this as well. Um, and so we just talk about setting limits. We talk about going in and using the tools on your smartphone that will help you manage your time. Kids don't have the ability to turn it off on their own. And so as parents, we need to help them. And we also need to empower them to do these things themselves. We talk about how it's so important to plug your phone in outside of your room um, and create space for you to just have downtime and turn it off. Kids can't escape from these devices. They can't escape the things that happen at school. They can't get away from anything ever. And so we have to be more intentional about giving them time and space to be away from what's happening in their daily lives and have a safe space at home to disconnect. Um, and so time management is really big deal. The E stands for emotions, and that's where we address mental health. We talk about um, not posting when we're overly emotional and getting that, um, letting that prefrontal cortex like come back into play when that amygdala is overriding everything that we're thinking and feeling because of those intense emotions that constantly are surging when you're a teenager um, and using a wise mind to navigate social media. And um, we talk about how the culture of comparison that exists on these platforms Platforms is so harmful to our young people. Um, I mean, Instagram knows that it causes body image issues for one in three girls. Like they know that based on their own internal data research. They know these things and yet they proceed as normal doing nothing about it. Um, so we talk about how if we're taking, if, if we're having a bad day, like how social media might not be the answer for us to kind of cope and, and navigate our emotions. Cause a lot of times these kids turn to these apps to just give them a little boost. They go watch TikTok funny videos rather than seeking out friendships and, and a hug, which is actually what they need. Um, we need eight physical touches a day to be emotionally healthy. And when we're interacting majority of the time behind a screen, we are not getting those hugs, those high fives, that interaction that kids so desperately need to be emotionally stable. And the final letter is the R, which stands for reality. And that's where we talk about how this is not real. This online community is great and it can be really fun, but this is not reality. Your online community cannot be your only community. Um, you have, if we didn't learn anything through COVID, it is that we, I mean, like we cannot exist in isolation and our screens are doing that to us and to our children. They're giving us a, a free pass to not be with people, but that's the exact opposite of what we actually need. We need to be together. We need real friendships. We need real relationships. And, um, and the, the fact that this online existence is not something that can last. It's fleeting and it might give us a little monetary, momentary um, dopamine burst, but beyond that, it's not going to give us that lasting joy and happiness that we need. So telling kids that this isn't real. Um, so that kind of sums up filter and what it stands for. So the whole point is to get these kids to filter first um, and kind of pass all of their online activity and interactions through a set of, we get about four healthy boundaries per topic and give them just very practical, practical to implement. Um, that encourages these kids to learn how to set boundaries and create good habits. All right, you're listening to the voice of Hannah George. She is the co-founder of Filter First. You can find the resources we're talking about at filterfirst.org. When we come back, Hannah's going to tell us 
um, a little bit about the videos and who is featured in them, because this isn't a bunch of old people telling uh, young people, you know, you you ought not be doing that. This is not a get off your lawn approach. This is a, hey, let's get together and and work on this mutually approach. So you're going to love um, you're going to love the content. And uh, we want you to um, check it out at filterfirst.org. We're going to continue our conversation with Hannah George here on Mornings with Carmen in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. May the words of my mouth and the force of my heart bless your name, bless your name, Jesus. Uh, where, uh, where are your kids right now? Not like geographically, but where are they? On social media. Who are they on social media? How much are you talking with them and engaging with them about their social media exposure and habits, participation, um, and how it's changing them? All of that is subject matter in Filter. Filter is um, a video series. It's a smartphone um, curriculum as well. It's a way for students to become equipped um, and you know and I can say it is developed out of a Christian worldview um, but it is useful in you know across every single environment it is designed for use in the classroom um, and it's designed for use in public schools as well so Hannah George is here to talk about it Hannah talk with us about the places where you would like to see filter first um, you know, flourishing and um, and how it's getting into those environments and how those listening can help. So we designed Filter to go into classrooms because ultimately what we found is that community and accountability and students hearing the same messages alongside their peers um, and from people other than their parents, sadly. Um, you know, we even if we tell them and do everything right, it's amazing how they'll go in and hear some speaker at a school say something and you're like, well, that's exactly what I said to you last night, but I'm so glad you finally heard it, you know, and it made an impact on you. So um, our goal with this is to get it in classrooms. We are in private schools in public schools, we are in churches, and um, and even just small groups in homes. But that community element is really important because kids need each other if they're going to create change. Um, if they're going to do something differently and stand alone and live set apart, which is ultimately the goal, especially, like you said, if, if we are focused on living a Christian life and walking differently, um, when it comes to smartphones, Students and adults and adults alike don't look much different than the world, if we're being really honest. Um, and I think that is one of the major points and takeaways for me 
um, coming from where I come from in my family. Um, but like you said, we we also don't want to limit this content to just religious-based organizations. So we did our best to develop content that could go straight into public schools as well. So while it has all of those touches in it from my own upbringing and my own background, um, all of the content is completely able to go directly into the public school systems, which is, I think, honestly, where my heart is for this program, because a lot of times those are kids are, aren't getting any of this at home. They're not getting anyone having conversations with them about how they're using their phone, how much time they're spending online, what they're looking at, what they're seeing. Um, how they're interacting and um, they're not helping their kids develop these positive relationships, you know? So that is where my heart is for this program is to get it into the hands of as many students as possible, because I really feel if we can get it into their hands, we can create a culture shift around the way these young people are using these devices. I, I just love that. I love the people that you're in partnership with. I'm going to be praying for you guys. I um, I noted, and I, again, you know, as I'm navigating the filterfirst.org website, there's so much great um, opportunity here to it just engage directly with the material. You guys can see um, how you can get access um, as a school or a youth group or as a family. Um, wonderful opportunities to partner with this ministry and, um, and help, um, really help filter find its way into more and more places and spaces across the country. One of the things, um, Hannah, that caught my attention, and you and I haven't talked about this, but it's linked to, um, and so now I'm curious, is Operation Light Shine. Can you, like, like what's the connection between online reality, social, the, the world of social media, and human trafficking? Well, this is where these online predators are getting to our children um, is through online gaming sites, through social media apps. Um, Our predators now have unlimited access to our children. Um, And and just that access alone is, is making online exploitation fly through the roof. I mean, it, it's absurd the amount of, we we use the term child sexual abuse material, but the way that these predators are luring children in, investing months of time into developing relationships with them, creating fake profiles that look like a same-aged boy or girl, um, getting them to trust them, um, adding friends that are people that they would know. So they truly believe that this is just a kid from another school. Um, and these kids fall in love, end up sending and sharing inappropriate images, and then that results in exploitation, either for money, more images, um, more videos, more explicit content. And and if you think it's not happening, I can promise you someone in your first degree circle has already experienced it. Um, it's, it's through the roof and it's ever climbing, especially with boys, um, especially with young boys. So when it comes to Operation Lightshine, they are fighting this on the ground all the time. Um, We've got local law enforcement involved with us, and that's who we actually developed our safety content with. Um, The safety portion of our curriculum was with the people at Operation Lightshine and the Intercept Task Force because they are 
fighting internet crimes against children day in day out. So what they're seeing on a daily basis, I mean, like it makes you, it would make you want to break your phone and throw it away, um, throw your computers away, all of it. You just, and, and we know that's not practical and that we're not going to get anybody to do that, but that's the reality of what we're facing. So when, when we started our initial conversations with Operation Lightshine, they are fighting this, but they also want to prevent this from happening. So that's where Filter First has come in. We are working as the education and prevention piece of the child exploitation um, and human trafficking. So we are trying to get in front of these issues. We are trying to stop the problems before they start. I like to say they're saving people from drowning in the river, but I want the person that's two miles up the road stopping them from falling in the river to begin with. So that's kind of our relationship. And they get, you know, we, we're partners and we're doing this together. And so it's just, you can't have um, one without the other, right? You have to have that piece where you're preventing and educating and trying to stop these problems because they could never tackle everything that they're trying to do, you know? And I think that's what's so yeah. sad. Mm-hmm. It is. It's incredibly sad. It's very sobering. Um, and I'm so I'm so um, encouraged that it's not like we're sitting on our hands or just, you know, wringing, wringing our hands, fretting. Um, you and your sister and others have gotten busy and you have um, created a really excellent resource. And so, um, hey, if you love kids and you um Actually, this is really for everybody. I mean, Hannah, I know this is designed for uh, for students, um, middle school and high school students. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of adults who have not thought about their privacy settings. They have not thought about why they're posting on social media. They have not thought about how much time they're spending there. They have not thought about the ways in which they're exposing themselves. They have not thought about how it's affecting their mental health. Um, and they And they have not thought about uh, just how they're using social media to replace real relationships in real life. And so Filter is um, is just an awesome uh, curriculum, regardless of your age and stage of life. It's uh, intentionally developed for uh, teens, but it's useful for everyone. So I just really want to encourage um, you guys to check it out, filterfirst.org. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. We, um, we appreciate who you are, what you're doing, and how you're doing it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's Hannah George. You can find her and all of the resources we discussed at filterfirst.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Let's give just a moment's thought here to the separation of church and state and why um, we don't want to live in, um, in a nation governed by one particular brand of religious viewpoint. Um, I'm talking about Iran, and I'm talking about the death of a 22-year-old woman who was in the custody of the morality police for not wearing her hijab in what they regarded as an appropriate manner. Violence in Iran has erupted following her death. Big questions being asked in that country as protests take place. Let's be lifting up the people of Iran um, and God's will be done. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.